Hey, mamas. How's it going? This is I See You, Mama, the podcast where we talk with other moms about the real stuff. Um, It has been the better part of, what, almost eight weeks since the last podcast came out. And uh, (laughs) I um, had every intention of, you know, uh, getting them out there and being on time and all those things. And then my uh, children came home. Like many of you, they, uh, our children um, stopped going off to school every day and we became their teachers. Now, Nashville had uh, a little bit of an incident before the whole pandemic <laughs> started and we had a tornado come through. And so it destroyed some schools, it destroyed part of the city, Um, and so we actually had an extra week off before, so we had a week off and then the kids went back for like three days and then everyone started all across the nation started shutting down schools and our schools shut down that second week in March and we have been home ever since and it is... Today is the 12th that I'm recording this on of May. We've been home since March. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's insanity. So I, I, um, yeah, we've been having really good days and really bad days and, um, kind of piling through. And I know that you guys out there, a lot of you can relate. Um, when I was listening to this podcast over again for editing, I realized this is all conversation that we had pre-pandemic shutdown, pre-quarantine. So some of it we talked about, and I was like, none of this applies anymore because (laughs) the world has changed. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I got a little like sort of sad and a little tickled too. I was like, wow, we had no idea what was coming, did we? We were just blissfully talking about the hard parts of... (laughs) parenting with aging parents what (laughs) and that in hindsight compared to what we just have all gone through collectively for several months seems even uh I don't know this seems harder in some ways um and seems crazier in some ways and um yeah that is not at all to discount Um, what my lovely guest, Brittany Sear, has gone through for the last several years with her mother, who is, uh, well, I'll let her her tell you about it, but this podcast is about um, parenting while also taking care of an aging parent who has um, illness. So, (laughs) not that it's a funny topic, but I I keep, um, I kept listening and going, oh my gosh, we had no idea. We were so unaware. We we didn't know what was coming and the things that we talk about. And I was like, in light of the quarantine and the whole pandemic thing, like, wow, this would have changed this podcast so much. But I still think that what she has to say is so valuable. Um, I want you guys to hear it. So uh, we're going to jump in and... I hope you enjoy this podcast. And I personally have missed putting these out a lot. 
Um, it is literally 6 a.m. and I'm sitting on my uh, living room floor with my pandemic puppy. <laughs> yeah, we were those people who were like, hey, it's not hard enough to like homeschool three kids. Let's get a puppy. <laughs> right? We were insane. Although he's been really a sweet distraction. Although if he would stop peeing on my couch, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we're still working on that. He's little. And uh, <laughs> what were we thinking? Anyway, so without further ado, I'm going to jump right in. And then, um, gosh, I've missed putting these out and hearing back from you guys and this kind of interaction that we've had. Um, so I'm hoping the podcast will go further, uh, go on further, and we will have remote guests because we're still not through all this and we're still not supposed to be hanging out together. It'd be really weird to record with masks on. I don't think it would go very well. Um, so we're going to have some remote podcasts. I've got a couple other podcasts uh, sort of stored from that I recorded before all this happened. And you'll, I'll be putting those out too. So uh, look for more podcasts. And um, without further ado, Brittany Sear. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is my guest, Brittany Sear. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Happy to be here. Yes. So Brittany and I have known each other through Moms Club. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody who comes on the podcast is like, how do you know each other? The Playground, Moms Club. It's one of those two. Yeah. I don't get out much, apparently. <laughs> I just have these very small circles of like church, playground, podcast, school. Three children. Yeah. No, I don't blame you. I have one less and I don't get out either. So <laughs> we'll do what we can to find a social circle. Exactly. So we met. When did you join? I think it was right after Cadence was born, so it would have been 2017. Okay. Or like early 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had almost been in Mom's Club for like nine years at that point. Yeah. Your kids were kind of <laughs> aging out, and mine were they like were. brand, like new, brand new Yeah. And they were like, you should be on the board. I'm like, I don't know. I've done that yeah. <laughs> like a bunch of times. But so you have two kids. I do, yeah. Their um, ages are? They are now five and three. Okay. I was talking to my daughter yesterday because she was like, Mommy, I'm almost four. And she's not almost four. She's <laughs> October, late October. Oh, that's birthday. a while from now. But when she said that, I, I like stopped because I was going, "You, I will have a four-year-old this year. My youngest will be four this year. It just yeah. hit me hard when she was saying that. It's something about them being not, not toddlers yeah, anymore. Not you know, babies, not toddlers. Just little kids. It's crazy. It's very weird. It is. Like my ready. youngest is about to be seven and I'm like what wow it didn't feel like that long ago that I was holding your little fat body that's crazy in my arms mm-hmm. well he were mad at me all the time <laughs> he was an angry baby he preferred his dad really yes that's rare like it is weird and it felt a little heartbreaking I was like what but I was like this is exactly I bet how my husband felt with the last two mm-hmm. who preferred me but he was like nope Papa. Wow. Well, they probably oh, got to bond better, though, they that did. way. They did. They were so sweet. I have all these little pictures of them, like, asleep together. That's cute. That's what they do. They just sleep. Oh, <laughs> cuddle bunnies. That's perfect. Yeah. He loves me now. But well, at the time, he was like, Papa. <laughs> it was this one of his first words. I was like, fine. Okay, fine. I'm chop liver. At least I, I have the older liver. two. <laughs> <laughs> and then by then, they were over me. They were like, ugh, mom. Oh, I'm no. I'm so busy right now. <laughs> 
So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So two kids. Two kids. Living yeah. in East Nashville. Yeah, we moved here when I was pregnant with my, with my oldest, with Nathan, um, and I was I didn't know anyone. So yeah. mom's club and people like you saved me because I was trying to figure right. out how to be a new mom and knew literally two people <laughs> when I moved here in this town and. Oh, God, it was a crazy time. It was a super crazy time. But East yeah. Nashville was a, a good fit for us. Yeah. It was – I felt like I was able to form that community yeah. faster than I expected. Still yeah. felt kind of slow at the time. But it was a lot of people who were ha- also had small children who would also, tra- you know, transition to Nashville. Right. So a lot of people looking for that community because we didn't have family here. You know, we don't exactly. have any family here. So I think that's a lot of the people in Mom's Club. Mm-hmm. Like, it, they come – to the group because there's a big need definitely like I'm alone in the world (laughs) you know I was Mm -hmm. home alone with my preemie baby Mm -hmm. and by the time she was three months old I was like I'm gonna lose it yeah so yeah Alice was like hey you should join mom's club I was like what's this mom's club you speak of I don't get along very well with women So funny. My husband, when I joined, was like, did you join a sorority for moms? Kind I was like, of. no, it's not kind that. Of. And then I realized I couldn't really like, deny the charges because of the, some of the events drinking. we organize. A lot less drinking. A lot less drinking. And yeah. yeah. I mean, but we still have like parties and occasions and fundraisers and all that. I the- think when I said banquet, he was like, it's what? a sorority. You're in a sorority. I'm like, I am not. I mean, but a little bit. A little bit. Without, but a much needed letters. Yes, exactly. I actually wish I had known about it sooner because when I first, like I said, I moved here when I was pregnant. I got put on bed rest when I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. Then I also had a preemie. And so the first like six or nine months of being a mom were just so incredibly isolating. I had never not worked. I didn't yeah. know anybody in this town. And then, oh. you know, found my way through it all. But with my daughter, I was like, okay. I can't repeat this isolation. (laughs) What's this mom's club thing all about? I got to join. I got to form some connections. So if there's any loneliness, which there will be, I've got some people to lean on in the community. Yes. My only regret is not having joined before I had her because then I could have had the meal train. Oh, yeah. You could have had the meal train. We're like, yeah, come on, girl. We'll feed you. Feed each other in the south. I know. That's really, that's so true. Well, today I was reading an article about how our modern life, our comfortable modern life is killing us. Mm. And one of the the biggest things is that we as people are so isolated. We feel like we're connected because of technology, Mm -hmm. but we're isolated. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're living out on some like global scale, thinking about the world and all its problems. And yet we're, you, we don't know who lives next door. A human being who lives like 30 feet away, we don't know their name Mm -hmm. or anything about them. And we live in this disconnected way. Now, I'm the crazy nosy neighbor who's like, I know. You just moved in? I brought you cookies. What's your name? And they're like, uh, what? Yep. So I'm like that too. I'm like off putting. I call, I tell people I'm a non millennial millennial because I like pick up the phone and call you instead of text you or (laughs) I'll just like force a play date on you because I. We're coming over. I don't know. I just, I don't. I think it's my parents were that way, like especially my mom, just very outgoing and social and had a, like a big network of friends. And so that's always been my like my safe space is like yes. forming those human connections. And I've seen people just like retreat from that in this techno- yeah. technological age. And it's been like 
it's very unsettling for someone like me. I'm like, no, we need each other. (laughs) Stop. Stop hiding in your houses. Come out and play. Exactly. I feel pushy. I'm like, we do sometimes, (laughs) but like all the people that I've had these really great conversations with on the podcast, I'm like, we might just have to have like a, I see you mama Mm -hmm. annual like luncheon (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. There has to be food involved because that's what we do. Yes, definitely. That'd be really cool though. Yeah. Everybody come meet all the other people from the other episodes and Mm -hmm. see a face. Cause I always forget to take pictures. Like here's you. Yeah. That's the safe safe space with, with podcasts and radio. I used to work in radio, and I was always like, ooh, no one can see what I look like today. No one, no one can see that I had, like, five, five hours of broken sleep. Right. <laughs> Hopefully no you can't hear like, that. No. <laughs> well, your topic that you approached me about was um, an aging parent mm-hmm. who has a lot of medical needs while also parenting young children. Mm-hmm. So um, you just want to give us, like, a brief kind of overview of your mom and yeah. the last sort of like crazy has it been a year or it's more? been like two has it been now long? what year is this 2020 it's been yeah it's been almost more than two really yeah so yeah I um my mom was diagnosed with an ultra rare disease in like the beginning of 2018 mm-hmm. she was getting sick for well now we kind of wonder how long but she was getting noticeably sick through much of 2017 having trouble in a lot of ways, really, fatigue and confusion and dizziness. And she was describing, like, a real bad pain in the back of her head. Yeah. And so my sister and I were like, you got to get an MRI. Like, you gotta, something, something's definitely off, you know, with your brain. So she did that. This was in, like, the early part of 2017. And then she really spent all of 2017 getting worse and worse and getting really just sort of lost in the medical system like they couldn't figure out really what was wrong with her and the MRI didn't show anything MRI showed some inconsistencies some like abnormalities so I won't get too technical but not enough to explain her symptoms so it was almost like and I'm sure some people who have gone through medical stuff will relate to this every test led to another test which led to another test which led to oh it could be this but that doesn't really make sense because you don't have this symptom right and so they really couldn't put her in any category that made any sense. And toward the, I guess, like maybe summer and fall of that year, I started getting more involved in her care because it was clear to me that the system that's supposed to help her was, you know, not, I don't want to say failing her quite, but they couldn't, they couldn't help her. And she, at that point, I think a lot of the problem was she was having so much more trouble than we even realized. Yeah with her memory and things like that. So she was, she didn't have the skills to manage her own care. Either. Right. Right. And so she also had an insurance company that I just feel like they it's Kaiser and they don't typically look outside of their own scope. So right. for example, I think with some insurance plans, if you, you know, aren't getting what you need, you, as long as the, another doctor is in network, you can get a second opinion pretty easily. Right. That's a little bit harder with their system that's sort of everybody has to be in-house. And I Mm. think in her case, she was already seeing, in their opinion, like the best neurologist that they had. And and if she couldn't figure it out, then, oh, well, I don't know what. No one can. (laughs) Yeah, so it was was really strange. I mean, I had to write a couple of strongly worded emails and get on some phone calls with her and just say, hey, you know, she's getting worse. You guys still don't know what's going on here. Yeah. What's happening? So then she ended up having a couple of car accidents. That's crazy. Oh she survived. It's a miracle no one else got hurt. Um, and then kind of fast forward to the end of the year, 
I saw her for Christmas and I was surprised at how sick she looked. I was really scared. Yeah. My sister called me a few days after Christmas. I'd gotten back to Nashville and she was just going, Brittany, we, we need to formulate some sort of plan here. Like she's, yeah. it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Ironically, like I think it was five or 10 minutes after we'd gotten off the phone together and sort of come up with our, you know, type A strategy <laughs> for how we'd find her everything she needed in 2018. Our stepdad called and said she had fallen out of bed and was catatonic and, what? and <laughs> It's just like, y'all need to call 911. So they did. Don't call me. Don't call me. Call me. <laughs> don't call me. And they did that. And she ended up, this was the year that the flu was really, really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just like uncharacteristically bad. And so a lot of hospitals were full. So they took her to a hospital that was not, that didn't have the best reputation. She lives in Atlanta. And so I was a little bummed about where they took her, but they took her where they had to take her. Right. And then it was just a whirlwind because she was in this sort of catatonic state. It wasn't really a true coma, um, but just, you know, non, non-communicative. She couldn't verbalize anything. She was totally out of it wow. for, I cannot remember how long, a couple weeks, I think. Wow. Um, and so, of course, I like rushed down to see her and just was so unprepared for yes. seeing someone you care about that, that far gone. And I didn't know, you know, if she was going to be able to come out of it. They did so many tests. They still couldn't figure out what was going on. How did they, they act, How did they finally figure yeah, it out? Yeah, so I'll kind of skip to that. So she was at that hospital for a while, and they were basically one of the side effects of this disease, which, by the way, I haven't even said. It's, she finally got diagnosed with something called autoimmune encephalitis. And mm-hmm. one of the uh, symptoms is like hallucinations and delusions. And wow. so at one point at this bad hospital – they had decided they were going to discharge her to a psych ward because they couldn't figure out what they couldn't find any real medical reason for her issue. So they had just decided they were psychological and we knew that wasn't awesome. the case. I mean, she was like a functioning normal adult, you know, her whole life. Like she, yes, <laughs> maybe, you know, so anyway, we ended up and I didn't even know I could do this, um, kind of back channeling her into Emory through, <laughs> I guess nepotism because I had a best friend whose grandfather was a real well-known surgeon mm-hmm. at Emory. He was retired, but he, you know, was real well-known in his time with Emory and so had, had like run departments pull. and stuff. So had a lot of pull. And so I was calling her and just through, through much of it, cause she had actually gone to nursing school and was training to be a midwife. So she knew the medical side of whenever I was confused about something they'd throw at me, I'd call her and yeah. say, Caroline, help me make sense of this. So she had already kind of worked to to help uh, get us into Emory. She was already, you know, she's that kind of person trying to figure out what they could do to help us. And so at the time that they were trying to discharge, I just said, I mean, it's go time. They're, they're trying to send her to a psych ward. And so we ended up getting her into Emory, which was kind of a miracle, especially mm-hmm. because Kaiser, like I said, they don't work outside of their scope. And the right. only reason they allowed her to be transferred to Emory is so ironic is the other hospitals that they do typically send patients to were full because of the flu. (laughs) So they said yes only because they didn't have a choice really. Um, And then we ended up at Emory. And within like, I think it was 24 or 48 hours, we had a diagnosis because they're a fantastic hospital and they could figure it out. And one of the first things they asked us was, why hasn't anyone done a 24-hour EEG? And EEGs are to look for seizures, you know, brain activity. Yes. And we thought, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we didn't know to ask for we that. We don't know these yeah. things. We're not doctors. Right. And so they That's had actually why. done an EEG with Kaiser in the early part of 2017 
um, and they didn't see anything. Right. But turns out she had been having these subclinical seizures for who knows how long. Subclinical is just when they're you don't see the the body seizing. It's in right. the, it's in the brain. So she'd been having those for who knows how long, mm-hmm. and they diagnosed that quickly. And once they knew about the subclinical seizures, a lot of the other pieces started to fall in place. That same yeah. friend I mentioned who got us into Emory had actually found an article on this disease, autoimmune encephalitis, when we were still at the bad hospital and said, hey, Brittany, has anyone ruled out AE? And I said, I don't know. And so I had brought that up to them at the bad hospital, and they they had sort of ruled it out, but they also admitted that they don't have the means to diagnose something that rare. You know, yeah. usually it's diagnosed with help from like the Mayo Clinic or yeah. they have to do a a lumbar puncture and test the fluid. So it's yeah. a pretty, you know, hard thing to diagnose. But when we got to Emory, of course, we mentioned it there too. And they agreed, you know, within like 24 hours, they were like, it's, yeah, that's what, it's the only thing it could be. Right. So, man, yeah, it was crazy. But, you know, after that, they, they started getting her treatment. Unfortunately, what we learned with rare diseases, especially, is there's not an effective or not the treatment plans are not that great, right? Because there's only, with this disease, there's only about 10 years of research. Yeah. So they just don't have, you know, 10 years in science is just nothing. So right. they don't know, you know, here's something that kind of works. Here's the medicine. They actually, one of the primary ways they treat it is with an IV infusion that's usually used for rheumatoid arthritis. Hmm. So, you know, they, they're just sort of pulling from what they have to right. try to, you know, find... It works for this auto right. disease. Maybe it'll work for this one. Right. So it's, you know, once we actually had the diagnosis, I uh, hoped that it would just be one of those things like, okay, we can bring her back. Yeah, Everything will it. be fine. This is, we, this is what we've been looking for for a year and a half. Yeah. Boom, we're good. But it's what I've seen. And that diagnosis came, I guess, in early... It was like maybe March of 2018, and now here we are two years later. Mm-hmm. What I've seen is it's not only has the treatment been – it's been effective in many ways and that she's still alive and, you know, right. they brought her back to us, but it's been problematic in many others because it's caused so many other issues. And really? Yeah, and that's the, that's been the hard part of all this is I think – once you think you're going to be fine and then you add a medication that then causes this and then one of the ways they treat this disease it's so so sad that this is the best they've got but it is is a really heavy dose steroid and like really heavy dose so that causes tons of weight gain and of course weight gain causes all these other issues also your body if it becomes dependent on a steroid then which it has in her case then you can't some of your systems can't function on their own Without that steroid. So it's a total catch-22. So we've had to work really closely with like an endocrinologist to make sure we wean her off the steroid in a way that her body can handle. Right. Um, And it's been, oh, I think my sister and I counted the other day, like five times in the past two years that we've almost lost her. Oh my gosh. Because of other, you know, issues. They use this terrible word in medicine called comorbidities I don't know if you're familiar with that term but after and and what's so sad is most of her comorbidities as they call them have been brought on by the medications Mm. you know and so it's it's crazy that the system is what it is but I you know in many ways I I'm conflicted because I'm so grateful that they were able to treat her and I'm all about you know modern medicine has saved us in many many ways but then I also what this journey has shown me is we just have a long way to go you know we're not quite as advanced as I 
once thought and especially in the world of autoimmune diseases autoimmune diseases which disproportionately affect women hmm, interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yes. so it's yeah, i have one like do you yeah and they're Since so the hard kids. to treat well it kicked off um they often said like some traumatic event will kick it off i was Ooh, like nothing happened to me and they're like you had a baby yeah. i was like oh i guess that's yeah. a traumatic <laughs> pretty <event."> traumatic <laughs> yeah yeah Wow. Yeah. And what I, I have a sister who has an autoimmune disease too. And what I've seen is, you know, they just don't know anything about it. And no. and then of course with women, and this happened so much in that year, she was undiagnosed. They tend to just go, even women doctors were saying this to her. Oh, I think it's stress. You know, <laughs> we're like, well, she's <laughs> retired. She's, you know, no, she, she did have out. a lot of things on her plate she was one of those women who just kept doing a lot of things in retirement she'd lost a lot of family in a short period of time so a lot of traumas for sure um so for a while she 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 thought for sure it was stress and was causing these issues with her brain and and all along I was going mom it just doesn't really seem like it's adding up for me you know I don't don't think stress doesn't equal you're grieving for sure and as well you should be she lost her mom her dad her dog her brother all in like the course of I think it was like a year it was intense so yeah she was definitely I almost think it would have been different if she hadn't had all those things that she was grieving and they'd they'd said you know oh you're this is just stress she would have probably fought back but she's like oh no I am pretty stressed I do have these traumas kind of going on so it was crazy I think what's been really hard just constantly hard is how much you have to advocate for a sick person you Mm -hmm. would think that they are I don't know, they they wouldn't need, once they have a diagnosis and they are so embedded in the system, like she, all of her, pretty much all of her doctors are with Emory, they have two years of data now, like they know yeah. she has an ultra rare disease. Um, and yet we still have to push, even with a great hospital, oh, and better insurance, I should say, her insurance switched from Kaiser to Medicare when she turned 65. Yeah. And everything's been remarkably easier since she's been on Medicare. Just Isn't that a sad? Remarkably easier. Ugh. I mean, it went from one thing of me spending hours on the phone fighting with insurance companies to just getting the care we needed. I yeah. mean, it was literally like night and day. Yeah. Um, but what's crazy through all of this is how much you have to advocate for the person. Yeah. I mean, at every single turn, you have to advocate for them. Mm-hmm. We have seen time and time again, especially when she comes in for a particular issue, um, that we just have to push for certain things. And yeah. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, sometimes it's as simple as... You know what? This is the thing that's always been hard every time she's in the hospital because she spent so much time in the hospital. Her brain doesn't function like like everyone else's anymore. Right. You know, a combination yeah. of the disease and then whatever brain damage may have happened in those the time that she was having those seizures because mm-hmm. we really don't know how much at this point her brain is just damaged or the disease has just impacted it. Right. But if you come into her room and, and nobody's there, my sister or I or her, her husband, they – and they ask her questions, she doesn't know, you know. And so I actually... Don't ask her these things. I actually, Call me. Despite many, many notes that we put on doors and on dry erase boards, I've thought about literally putting a note around her neck, you know, yeah. because 
we say yeah. you guys I'm not competent to answer these questions right and every time we we she's in a hospital it's usually the same two hospitals you know right but we we speak to charge nurses and we say hey you gotta call us you know you gotta call us we had an instance where she had to have a surgery and a med student came in like an anesthesiology med student and did what? all the pre-surgery workup with her and I found out about it, and I was just like, oh, my God, he got all the wrong information. I mean, nothing she, she would have yeah. told him would have been accurate, maybe some of it. Depending on the day, she has pretty good cognitive days, but many of them are not so good. So I went, you know, angry and, like, rushed over to somebody and said, hey, like, you need to only work up, and this shouldn't have happened. And so I had an opportunity to talk to the anesthesiologist and the, the surge, surgeon who did the surgery and say, guys, this is really dangerous what happened. Mm-hmm. And we had put in safeguards to prevent it, and it still happened. Yeah. And they both said something about, how, oh, we would have confirmed everything again. or you With know, her. That person what? is training, so they are learning. And I'm just going, you know what? You're just feeding me lip service. This is dangerous. you know. And so what's crazy yeah. is a system that, has protected her in many ways also has so many flaws and even the people who work in it would admit that so it's it's a very heads up ball game I mean we kind of live in this sort of stress stratosphere where especially when she's in the hospital in fact she's in the hospital right now but hopefully being discharged today and I like I keep my phone on at nights because I just never know what's you know what's coming down the pipeline so. so what does that look like what has what has this um, kind of remotely caring for your mom? Because yeah. she's not in town with you. No. Like, she can't come over and stay with you. No. Like, what does that look like for your family to yeah. be a caregiver who's also, like, as far from Nashville to Atlanta? Yeah. It's been crazy. I mean, the my heart is always with my sister, quite frankly, because she carries the lion's share of the mm. work. Um, my mom and her we we call him our stepdad because they were together for I think it's probably like almost 25 or 30 years at this point but they never officially married so a lot of the uh, you know power of attorney and all that kind of stuff he doesn't have any of that no and she she had asked us to take care of that stuff for her she just wanted that from us so um so that meant that, you know, we're doing a little bit more than I think in some kind of marriages when the, per- you know, the spouse gets sick before the other, then right. the partner might do some of that lifting as well. And he's been remarkable in many ways and helpful in a thousand ways, but we've had to kind of cover a lot of those finer details and yeah. be the main driver of the train when it comes to medical stuff. So for my sister, I feel just constant, like, whatever the equivalent of survivor's guilt is, you know, because I'm yes. up here four hours away. I can kind of compartmentalize mm-hmm. the care, you know, and get back to my life. Yeah. She doesn't have that luxury. She hasn't right. had that luxury in years now. And so the first, I think, year, once we had the diagnosis, we had the treatment plan, we had a lot of of things to figure out, you know, where could she live with this diagnosis? Could she go home? Right. That the hard part in that first year was she was having to live with my sister a lot of the time, and she's mm-hmm. like, you, she has three kids, only yeah. they're younger, and so she. What I kind of decided as my, and I'm the older sister, so I think this is like classic older sister move. I was <laughs> like, how can I help her? You know, help mom. And right. so I, I just told her what, whatever can be done from far away please just let me do, you know? 
And so a lot of the scheduling, like phone calls related to appointments, we have my number listed as the first number on mom's, you know, profile for Emory. So any, any like follow-up stuff tends to come to me. Yeah. Um, but that I mean, can get a little complicated, yeah, right? Because, because you're not the one taking her. Right. Like, and yeah, so, this seems to work fine. So can we, you drive her? Right, right. Know. So we have like a shared calendar. We're both pretty type A with the way we like schedule our lives. So I think in many ways we've been able to organize this in a way that works for us. Yeah. Um, you know, the shared calendar was a big first step. And then also uh, we have, I don't know if you're familiar with Google Keep. I like my Google yes. products. Yep. And Keep has all these almost like stickies, if you will, or you can just take notes. And so mm-hmm. we have these keeps of like, a, you know, it might be her endocrinologist and his yeah. name and then, you know, the appointment such and such day and everything we learned at that appointment. And so whenever we are not- trying to communicate to each other, we try to keep it all like cataloged in some way that we can pull pull from later because we're both busy moms, so it's like we don't really count on our own memory of all these things. Yeah. Um, I go down there a lot. I go down some. Sometimes I'm down there so much it's it's fully consuming and exhausting. And I don't know what it has been about Januarys and Februarys, but they they have been the winter has been when she's had the most trouble typically. And so that's weird. I think in twenty what is this? So twenty nineteen last year, February and March, a little bit of January. I added it up at the end, and I had been in Atlanta, like more or just as much, I think, as I had been in Nashville because I was going down. Mm-hmm. My husband took a few Fridays off in a row, and so I would just go down like Thursday yeah. after he get off work, and I would spend like Friday, Saturday, Sunday yeah. helping out, especially when she's in the hospital because, you know, they can't be there right. all of the time. Right. And the kind of beauty I guess you could say if we could call it that in my coming down is I don't bring the kids I don't yeah. bring other I mean I, I kind of always have certain things on my plate that I've got to deal with messages coming through about you know work stuff but I can really focus on her yeah and and I don't have that feeling of like oh I need to get home and cook dinner you know right. <laughs> or oh I need to or order Ooh. right right so I try whenever she's in in an emergency situation whenever she's hospitalized or there's like a big transition of some kind I try to go down and help like yeah. hands-on help as much as I can and then when I'm not able to go down or there isn't like an acute issue I just try to help with scheduling and other stuff like yeah. that. It never feels like quite enough. I, I know it's probably relatable to people who, this is a classic story, right? Like there's always one sibling, if there's multiple siblings, that does yeah. the majority of the work because of proximity or maybe it was their relationship with the person. Yeah. But it's just sad because I know in many instances, like in ours, I want to do more, but right. I live four hours away. And we've certainly thought about moving back but I don't think it it would be the right move for our family. We, I think you and I were, yeah, I was sharing this struggle with you when it was happening, but we built, actually in the year that she got diagnosed, we were building an addition, like a, a income property off the back of the house. Everybody in Nashville has a daddy, <laughs> has a daddy and but Airbnb. Yours is attached, ours so is attached, but it's, it's <laughs> a, a little income generator while I'm home with the kids. And so it takes up a lot of my time just to get that place constantly, especially in the busy season, which is coming up. Yeah. We might have three or four guests in one week back to back. So I, you know, have a lot of things going on here. And if we if we move back to Atlanta, we'd lose that income, and yeah. it's just kind of a. It, it, there were 
good handful of times that we were almost ready to say like let's just do it let's move back yeah so we can be more help um but it wasn't the right thing for our family I don't think and my sister was really awesome about understanding she never said like I need you to come home like I can't do this yeah she's one of those people who I just don't even know how she does it all honestly like I feel like her mental health is better than any of the people I know I feel like most people would take on the amount of things she does and they just fall apart and she's just one of those rock stars who I used to call her when we were really little like that she was always on an accelerated path for life because <laughs> she was just I don't know like unstoppable you know and she started yeah. a business when she was really young and she got married when she was really young she started her family before most people start families and so she yeah. just I mean it sounds crazy but because she's three years younger than me but I swear she's more mature than me <laughs> So anyway, I, I try to help in all the ways that I can, but it uh, never quite feels like it's enough. But yeah. I think it's, like I said, I think this is what happens when you don't live in the city where the person is, you know? Yeah. What does um, that look like for Austin and the kids? You know, that's been the most challenging part for me, I think, has been having to navigate. Because sometimes caring for someone you love, even if you're not the one there, is so all-consuming. I yeah. mean, it just takes up so much of your headspace. Right. And so the first year in particular, especially because you're also grieving what, you know, the life you thought you'd have with that person. Right. You know, they haven't died, but everything that made them who they were, for the most part, is gone, you yeah. know. And is that what she's like now? You know, not as much as she used to be. One thing that's been so inspiring, and she's this kind of person, she's always been this kind of person. She's like infectiously positive. I mean, just, and I think that's why she's alive, to be honest with you, because she has yeah. cheated death so many times now. And she's just the kind of person who always, always looked on the bright side of every of every bad situation. And so I think her strength and her positivity, like, those things have shown through all of these crazy times. Yeah. We actually, just like a little side note story, when she was in that catatonic state, she would, she would like mumble and talk, even though she wasn't talking to us. She'd just sort of say like non, sometimes nonsensical things. Yeah. But sometimes she'd, she'd be clearly having some sort of delusion and she'd be talking to a person that wasn't there or whatnot. But we actually just, this is probably a coping mechanism at the time, we're like writing down some of the things that she was saying. Yes. I, wish, I wish I had thought to bring them with me. Because we noticed this theme of just like constant, like bright, shiny, mm. the personality she had was definitely still there, you yeah. know, and she was a singer and she would lead like worship at her church. She was a teacher. She actually was a teacher for kids with like vision issues, but also like any kind of disabilities. So yeah. she, I don't know, she just dedicated her whole life to like sharing this bright light that she always felt like she had to share with people. So I really think that's why she's still alive. But to more more to your point, I think that piece of her is still there. Yeah. And so that's been great because <laughs> yeah. if she was going dark on us, you know, I think that would be really hard. And mm -hmm. she's definitely struggled with anxiety and depression through all of this. She did before she got sick too. But she stayed so – like when you talk to her – now because she has many cognitively good days now more than in some of the years prior she'll like i'll call her and i'll say hey mom how are you almost every single time without skipping a beat she goes get getting better every day <laughs> getting better every day and it's like oh, oh like thank you you know but i think what yeah. you're really mourning like in grieving is 
you know, I can't call her and say, mom, like cadence is, I'm potty training cadence right now. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard. And I I don't see how it's ever going to get better. And blah, blah, blah. You know how you are with your parents. If you're close to them, you just, you know, you just word vomit on them and say like, help me, help me get through this, this hard thing. And because of her, you know, amazing personality, she was always the kind of person who, you know, lift you up and make you feel better and tell you help you see your way out of it and so that was a really hard thing to let go of Mm. I mean I'm sure a year ago I couldn't have even talked about this without sobbing because it was just like how do you replace that you know you you have that with friends and you might have that with your partner but you know she's your mom so it was really hard to that first year kind of grieve what was happening, process what was happening, navigate what was happening, advocate, and still take care of my children, you know, take care of my, my life. And, and in that year, like I said, we were also building this apartment, trying to list it on Airbnb. I've never decorated anything in my life. I have no decoration <laughs> style. I mean, look around. Clearly, <laughs> my style is kid crap. That's me. So <laughs> I was trying like a whole new business venture. Yeah. At the same time that I was learning this medical system and like grieving this person who I loved. It was, I don't think many years will ever rival what 2018 looked right. like for me. And at the time, Cadence was hot two. Mess. Yeah. Oh my gosh complete hot mess I gained a lot of weight I you know my mental health suffered tremendously Mm -hmm. I I had people that were like touch tones that were going you know make sure you're taking care of yourself through this and I'm like what does that even mean (laughs) like I don't know what you mean like like go to the gym you know (laughs) take care meditation like I'm trying but I have no idea what what that looks like and so after that really hard year I had to get a better handle on how I can be, you know, a functioning mom. Yeah. Take care of everybody. And obviously what was so crazy is she's she's always had this mantra literally my whole life where she says self care trumps everything. Yes. And she what that meant to her was like I you know, I have to take care of my own mental health in order to be a good mom to you. And yeah. so she had a, many different ways that she would do that. And I think my first couple of years of, of being a mom, I was like, I don't really know. Like, I feel guilty if I do anything for myself, you mm-hmm. know. But I've I've channeled her a lot, in especially since she got sick, and and I've taken some steps to prioritize my own needs. One of them was just getting acupuncture. Yeah. <laughs> acupuncture saved my mental health, quite frankly, wow. because. I, d- I needed something that could help with the anxiety. I mean, what's interesting, and I'm sure other people who've gone through medical traumas can relate to this, even if you're not the person that's sick, there's a lot of like PTSD with it. Yeah. Um, seeing her so sick, being uh, like when you sleep, you know, on an uncomfortable recliner, as many nights as I have watching someone you love, you know, fight for their life, yeah. it's, it's very traumatic. And then also you're when you're a first responder so to speak whenever these emergencies happen right I got to a point where I knew the PTSD was bad when my phone something would happen in the middle of the night I think one night it was just my dog like getting up to bark and my heart would just race like I just snap out of the bed like oh my gosh what's wrong what's wrong you know yeah and that was the first time I identified that oh this is like my I'm really not doing so well (laughs) you know the anxiety of this has caused exactly some sort of like high alert response within my body so 
in 2019, I, I kind of, I feel like I, I reset, you know, and kind of got more on track with how, how to function in this new world that we're now, we've now found ourselves living. And acupuncture was a big thing for me. Changing my diet was a big thing for me. Treating my own anxiety and depression with exercise was a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, just doing some things that felt like basic, but have been making all of this more manageable was really important. So that, I mean, to your question about like the kids in Austin, I think the, the past year and a half have been, I've been able to kind of manage it all better and hopefully impact them a little bit less. I'm sure in that first year they felt it all, you know, cause I was gone so much more than they were ever used to. Yeah. I mean, my husband's complete rock star when I'm gone. He just does all the things, you know, he's Mr. Mom, you know, like he can take (laughs) care of all of it without, he's not, he's not the kind of husband who will, you know, call me and be like, oh my gosh, how do I deal with such and such? Like he just kind of works it all out, you know? Yeah. So he, he stepped up in ways that, I mean, I guess I always knew he was that kind of person, but seeing it in action was tremendously helpful and felt like the biggest love language, you know, that I could need at the time. That's so cool. And, um, I don't know, you know, as the kids have gotten a little bit older, I felt like it's a, I don't know, a good opportunity for them to see what like caring for someone looks like, especially my son, because he's five now and he's a boy and he's definitely, he went through a phase where I thought he had lost all of his empathy, but, but I think it's returned. I think it was probably just an age thing, but, but, but I feel like now that he's old enough not to understand what's going on. I mean, I think it'll be years before he fully conceptualizes all this stuff, but he's old enough to, and, and my daughter too, honestly, for me to say like, mommy's doing this thing to help out. They call her Nunu to help out Nunu um, because she needs me and she's sick and that's what you do for people you love, you know? And so they don't, they don't seem nearly as impacted as they used to. I think it's just their new normal. And I'm sure anyone who's taking care of their, their parents, and a lot of people do it in their own home, you know, like Mm -hmm. my sister did for so long of that year. And she said her daughter, who the year she was really watching mom, um, I think she was four that year. I might be wrong. Might have been three. She ended up being like a little caregiver in training. You know, she would help make make my mom's lunches and she would go get her different thing. You know, so it's, I feel like I, I sort of changed from like, oh my gosh, am I neglecting them to take care of my mom? Am I being a good mom to them when I'm taking care of my mom too? This is what... Like, this is what love and caring, you know, and supporting each other looks like. And yeah. even though they're too little to really understand it, I I hope it in some way, like, shapes the way they care for their spouses or their children or their yeah. – or me, you know. <laughs> Someday. Someday. Hopefully yeah. a long time from now. Um, so I don't know. I think we get through it as best we can. I think I mentioned to you when we were talking about – you know, topics and stuff. One of the things that's hard, I think, to be a caregiver is at our, and I know this happens to other people too, but we don't have any friends going through this, you know? We don't know many people who have a two and a four-year-old and then are taking care of their parent or parents. There are people out there doing it. It's just not the norm, you know? Yeah. And most of, I think a lot of our friends in our age groups, like they're, it's going to start happening. You know, it's, it's, it's sad to think about, but it's, it's on the horizon for everyone, you know, yeah. it's just the reality of life. But I, I had a lot of su- 
support in older friends. I mean, much older friends, 20, right. 20 or so years older than me. They'd say, well, when I went through this with my mom and I loved all their words of encouragement, but it was also kind of like, yeah, but you, when you went through this with your mom, you didn't have a baby, right? <laughs> you know, you weren't potty training. You had teenagers. You were a teenager. And, and I'm yeah. sure it was hard whenever you go through it, but that felt yeah. very isolating. Um, I think mom's club and like the community here, I felt so supported. Yeah. I think you were still a member when I yeah, sent out an email like, right. I'm rushing to Atlanta because my mom's gone catatonic. I don't know how long I'll be there. I, I desperately need help with the kids over the next couple of days if Austin can't get off work and yeah. blah, 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 blah. I remember that. And there were like, I was sitting in this hospital thinking she was probably never going to come back and reading, I must have read like 10 emails from moms. <laughs> I know it was crazy because it was moms that I had never even yeah necessarily talk to you know because we have a pretty large chapter and some moms more active than others and so there'd be people that I knew their name that I'd never seen and they would be just hey this happened to me once with so-and-so and I just want you to know I'm here for you if you need anything and 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 it was so amazing because I felt so alone through all of that and just a few emails of encouragement were like enough to yeah. You know, pull me back up. So, yeah, I think you just have to, this is easier for some people than others, but you have to say yes to that support. Yeah. You know, you have to let people help you, which again, some people are like, you know, maybe toxically independent. <laughs> I used to be that way. I don't think I am anymore. So yeah, you just have to yeah get the help where you can and yeah. try to stay swimming. And if you have an affordable acupuncturist in your neighborhood... <laughs> <laughs> I've never done acupuncture. That's oh, one of girl. the ones I haven't gone. It's uh, I've always had a real trouble with sleeping, especially with if there's any sort of anxiety in my life. I mean, I've been an insomniac since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and it's completely, I mean, totally transformed my insomnia. Like it'll flare up a little once in a while, and then I'll go in for a treatment, and it's totally at bay. And I've also struggled with headaches for like different reasons, mm. sinus usually. And I, yeah, it's great. We actually have a place in Nashville and I'm hearing they're becoming more popular. That's a community acupuncture place. So it's a little different than other places. It's not like a one-on-one session with an acupuncturist. I mean, it is, but you're in a big room with recliners. So there's other people having treatments at the same time, but they keep the costs lower this way. So there are more people. Yeah. Because acupuncture is not cheap. And so you know, our oh. wonderful little hippie community has, has opened a place to make it more affordable. And that's the only reason I can even go. So yeah, this is a little plug for <laughs> in circle because they've changed my life. But any place like that, I think you have to do some things. Like I said, those, those ones who are nudging me to like take care of myself in that yeah. hard year. If you don't, it's all too overwhelming. You yeah. know, you just have to. It. Ha- I mean, yes, I have not experienced this kind of like prolonged caretaking, mm-hmm. but it's kind of coupled like we talked last two weeks ago about grief mm-hmm. and parenting in that. And so at the same time, like you're grieving and also caring for the mm-hmm. person who you're grieving. Mm-hmm. And that's this combination like we are as humans are not meant to do this by ourselves. Mm-mm. Like we're just not. And we, if we do, it's, inevitably like somebody's gonna break and crack mm-hmm. you know we just can't we can't live at this level and so mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you had mom's club and me too. family <laughs> and people that we were like yep yep 
I'm right here with you. I'm mm-hmm. right here with you. I don't. We wouldn't have survived without that. Yeah. We ultimately made a very hard decision to move her into a assisted living facility just yeah. because it wasn't it wasn't working. You know, having her at home with my sister or even at her own home with our stepdad because her her care needs were just escalating. You right. know, and she had a series of falls in the beginning of last year, mm. one that caused a surgery and. It was just there was an incident with a paramedic one of her after one of her falls where they came and they said something about I don't remember the exact words but they said something to my sister about how they think it's time for her to be somewhere where her care needs can be met you know yeah more and and I'm sure at the time it felt sort of insulting to my sister but I, what they were saying is like this is dangerous you know yeah. she she, needs, she needs a little bit more than you can give her and yeah. I think it's hard but important for us to recognize that sometimes like I've seen a lot of women I really love my stepmother my sister other women friends Mm -hmm. just kind of decide I can do all of this right you know and and I think that they probably can because they're those those unstoppable women you know but I also feel like they everybody needs to be able to admit to themselves like when something's just a little bit above their pay grade you know and they need that support in a different way so we ended up moving her into a great place we've had I mean every place has a few issues here and there but by far and large it's been a a huge blessing having her in a facility then when things do go wrong you know they call us and say hey we're yeah (laughs) we called 911 we got to get her to an you know hospital and Mm. it it takes a lot of that pressure off of us to to be the the ones deciding you know, her every need. Yeah. It's it's like a nurse at the facility goes, hey, her breathing is a little off today. I think we need to get her checked out. You know, yeah. it's it takes that initial pressure. Because, I mean, caring for your parents is just like caring for your children, right? Is, like, but they have big bodies. They have big bodies. You can't pick so them up. It's just like when you have that newborn and you're going, oh, my gosh, are they breathing? You know, yeah. if you have a sick family member living with you. I don't know mm-hmm. how my sister did it as long as she did. I brought mom up here for maybe a week once and it was just the hardest week of my life because yeah. I lived in constant fear of, you know, is she, is she okay? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's nice to have, to trust a place to find, and we toured a bunch of places, um, to take, to help take care of her. Yeah. Know? And then that's like a whole nother ball game because this facility is is a good deal but she was a teacher so she can't really afford anything long term so this is this is sort of a temporary fix for us yeah um because it's the only option we really have but I should say too especially because I have so much eternal gratitude we ended up doing a GoFundMe which was sort of it felt uncomfortable to us at first you know um someone recommended it and then we were like, okay, I guess we should do it because she had she had meant a lot to a lot of people, and a lot of people didn't know what was going on. Right. We'd been kind of private about everything, you know, to an extent. She was all because she was a singer too. She had sort of like a public persona, I guess, you yes. know. So we ended up doing this GoFundMe once we made the decision to switch her to assisted living because we knew she could only afford you know, a very short amount of time right. at an assisted living facility. We're talking maybe a couple years, you know? Yeah. And so we thought, let's just do a GoFundMe and see what happens. And we ended up raising, I wish I could remember, something like ten or $12,000 in like a couple of days or something. Wow. And it was, I mean, I cried so much in those two <laughs> days because I kept seeing all these names, like people that I didn't know, people yes. that I did, 
friends from high school who I hadn't talked to in ages. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my like best friends in high school who we've sort of fallen out of touch gave like $500 or something. And it was, yeah. it was like, what, you know, how, who are these generous people? And then it occurred to me, like, she's touched these people's lives. Like, I don't think that person even did it for me. I think yeah. she meant a lot to him. And yeah. I've had a lot of my friends say that they're like, your mom was like a second mom to me, you know? Yeah. So I guess like there's been all these little blessings through all of this that has really like restored our faith in humanity. Cause I, yeah. I can't even her like ex-husband as <laughs> like not my dad. She had another husband has donated like several times. Like he just sends money occasionally, yeah. like large sums of money too. And it's like, I guess she just really, you know, she yeah. would, like I said earlier, she was this bright light in the world and that light has touched so many people that they want to help her. And, and it's crazy when you have someone who's given so much of their life to like in the public, yes. you know, she was a teacher and now she can't afford life and retirement. You know, it's just like, just don't get us started, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's just, just... That's a whole other I know. Podcast. It's another of podcast. Angriness. Exactly. So <clears throat> that, that the community would, would support her in whatever small ways they are, you know, with whether it's a $5 donation or a yeah. $500 donation yeah. has been really, really powerful to see. Yeah. And then and then out of nowhere people will will share it and there'll be like a little resurgence, you know, of, of people donating. So yeah. and sometimes those donations have been like what she would call divine timing. You know, like somebody would send a couple hundred dollars and then like the next week she'd have some care need that was a couple hundred dollars. And yeah. it was like all of these little blessings and miracles have been one of the only things that have gotten us through <laughs> this, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you for coming and talking about it. I know this is, I mean, I, we're a couple years out, and so yeah. it's not as emotional as yeah. it was when we, we, you first yeah. started going through, and we first heard about your mom. Yeah. But I really, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing this part of you. And yeah, I thought I was going to cry through the whole thing. So I, I, I like jumped survived. Up a couple times. I was, I was like, I'm, I'm going to keep it down. My so insomnia was flaring up last night just because I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to go talk about this tomorrow. Like really talk about it. And yeah. that's going to be intense. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's the time, you know, and there yeah. was definitely a, a, a whole phase of my life where people would bring her up and they'd be like, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. And I couldn't, you know, yeah. like if I did, it would just be floods. Yeah. Because that's grief. Like, yeah. like you said in your other podcasts, yeah. you know, like grief just hits you when you least expect it. And it's even, oh my gosh. It's, yes. It's tough. It totally does. But I don't know. It's all part of life, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and if it in some way helps my kids learn how to navigate it for themselves, then yeah, I suppose it's all worth it. And I still have hopes that she'll, there's something in, brain recovery called neuroplasticity and it's your Mm -hmm. brain just rewires itself essentially it's something relatively newer that I I spoke to this nurse when she was in a rehab hospital she said it's it when it first started happening with patients in like the 90s I mean it's been going on forever but they noticed it happening in the 90s the doctors were perplexed because they're like the brain can't just rewire itself you know but it turns Um, out it can you know so we're hopeful that you know rehabilitatively speaking there's there's more to come for her, you know, that this isn't her forever normal. And, and so we've, we've hit a bunch of barriers with some of these comorbidities as they say. Yeah. But as we've gotten through each of those individual struggles, my sister and I keep going, okay, maybe this is, this is the phase now where 
she was dealing with kind of chronic infections this past year, but we may have just solved that issue. Yeah. And so now we're going, all right, maybe the next six months will just be straight rehabilitation, you know, because yeah. the body keeps getting knocked down and it can't really recover and yeah. rewire if, if it keeps hitting, getting all these, hitting all these walls, you know? So yeah. for the first time in a while, I've been kind of optimistic about where she might be able to come from this yeah. and, you know, instead of just accepting it as her new normal. Right. So maybe that's why I can talk about it without crying. I'm like, <laughs> maybe there's, next there's year we'll be in a totally different place. So. Yeah. We'll say. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, of course. This was fun. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. Bye. Bye. So that's it for this week. Thanks again to my guest, Brittany Sear. And uh, you guys heard what I mean about things being kind of crazy. She had an Airbnb, and uh, that's all come to an end for a lot of people. Anyway, so thanks again for coming this week and listening. Um, I didn't introduce myself at the beginning. If you guys have never listened before, I'm Ariana Evans and I'm the host of this podcast and, um, hopefully we'll have another one next week and we'll be on time and nobody will talk while I'm recording cause they're eyeballing me right now. Um, <laughs> this is real life y'all. I'm going to be recording with children in my face, making bagels in the next room. Um, as usual, look for us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, and uh, I'm hoping to interact with you guys on those platforms. You can always um, email me. The podcast is icumamapodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can look for us on on, on the, the social media. Just search for I See You Mama and look for our um, little yellow icon with the glasses. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day.